the property pod. Pod. pod welcome to the property pod with moneyweb the property sector is an ever-changing sector and in this podcast series your host suren naidu chats to movers and shakers in the property industry hi there welcome to the latest episode of the property pod south africa's premier property investor podcast my name is Suren Naidu, and on this podcast show, we gain insider insights from leading executives, analysts, developers, and entrepreneurs in South Africa's expansive property industry. On the podcast today, we are chatting to Malos Kikana, who is the current president of industry body, the South African Property Owners Association, or SAPOA. He is also CEO of unlisted property giant Perito, which owns mega malls like Menlin in Pretoria, the Pavilion in Durban, as well as a stake in Santon City and the other precinct properties around that centre. Kikana became CEO of Perito after leading a 4 billion rand B deal to buy a material stake in Perito back in 2016. So one of the big industry dealmakers in the last seven years or so. He is speaking on the pod today, both in his role as Sapoa president and Perito CEO, to share insights on the group and some of the major issues the industry is grappling with at the moment. Welcome to the property pod on MoneyWeb, Malos. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Mr. Kikana, before we go into some of your concerns about the challenges faced by the commercial property industry as Sapoa president, obviously some of those challenges affecting other industries as well, please share some insight on who is Malus Kikana. How did you get into the industry and the private sector? As I understand, you've, you've got experience in the public sector as well both as uh, CEO of Usumvobo Youth Fund a while back, as well as Itala. Yeah, so I graduated with a BCom in finance at West University, and I joined Stanford Bank uh, through their advanced management program. It used to be called the ATP, uh, Advanced Training Program, where they were training the next layer of leaders uh, for Stanford Bank. I left uh, once I finished that program and joined the class of program of Rand Merchant Bank, uh, where I worked in various divisions um, from risk management, corporate finance, uh, and I spent most of my time in the private equity division in what is today called RMB Ventures. And then, I then um, myself and friends started a small asset management firm called Prodigy, and I sold my stake in that to. Uh, joined Professor Wiseman in Kutlu, uh, where we bought the former bank of Transkai, or what was called Meat Bank, before it was taken over by Standard Bank. Um, subsequently, I joined the government. Uh, as um, uh, I was a member of the ANC Youth League National Executive Committee, and uh, I then joined um, uh, government uh, to start Omsobombo Youth Fund as the founding CEO and also started the National Youth Development Agency. But uh, I stayed more than I wanted, and uh, I left uh, after eight years uh, to get back into the private sector. How I ended up at uh, Parito is I bought a construction company because I wanted to learn about development. I'm passionate about property and property development. Uh, it was something that I set myself out to do once I came back into private sector. Um, I was not so enthusiastic about banking 
And yeah, and um, I did one or two developments and I became aware of the Pareto deal that I was doing rounds in the market. I approached the GPF or the PIC who represented them and we put together a deal. And yeah, and one of the conditions they put to me was that if I do get successful with the deal, I will have to take over as the CEO. And that's why I'm I'm here today. Um, very interesting insight there. The the banking side obviously puts you in a good stead for this position as well. You have been CEO of Pareto since uh, the BE deal back in 2016. It is unlisted, but owns some of uh, the biggest and landmark malls in South Africa. Uh, Menlin, of course, was once jointly owned by Old Mutual and Pareto, but Pareto basically bought it out uh, around the time or just before you came in as CEO. How big is this portfolio now? Uh, perhaps you want to highlight how the portfolio is also doing, and as well as if there's any developments or any new projects on the go at the moment. Yeah, when I joined Pareto, the net asset value of Pareto was $12 billion. As at the reporting date at financial year and 2023, the portfolio value is approximately north of $19 billion. Um, and um, so we've created over $6 billion of value. Um, and we're badly affected by COVID, but be as it may, uh, we've come out of it very strongly. So the NAV has grown um, significantly. Um, I mean, that's a compounded annual growth rate, north of 5%, and contrary to a GDP growth averaging around 1%, 1.5%. So that's uh, what it, how the portfolio is doing from a value point of view. And yeah, and we've introduced quite a lot of things. Uh, we have, um, you know, introduced the change in strategy from retail only to a mixed portfolio uh, strategy. So we are doing residential developments, uh, healthcare, uh, we're looking into industrial properties and so forth. Still early stages of that strategy. Uh, but that's where Pareto is at today since I joined. And uh, how are like the likes of Menlin? Obviously, Menlin's a little bit like Gateway, where it is unlisted, but uh, that uh, I'm sure it's it's turned around like some of the other mega malls, uh, Sandton City and its other peers. Yes, obviously, during COVID, we, we took a dip uh, because most of the neighborhood shopping centers did very well. If you take the MSCI index as a as a relative peer comparison, uh, the portfolio last year uh, was ranked two out of 20 funds in, in terms of the MSCI IPD ranking. So most of our malls have done, uh, did very well. This year we took a dip again because we had unforeseen expenditure because we had to spend a lot of money on buying uh, generators um, because we're no longer looking at generators as a, um, um, just as an uninterrupted power supply, but almost as main supply. Uh, because the schedules for load shedding are a bit longer, and those generators were were not designed for being main supply or you know, almost as a part of your base supply, so that has affected our portfolio. Um, and then the other problem is the diesel um, that has uh, was an unforeseen and unexpected expenditure that has also affected us. But all in all, footfall has not returned to pre 2019, but the spend per head has increased significantly. So we are back at the trading densities uh, that we saw in uh, 2019. In fact, uh, we are slightly ahead. So I can say that I think by and large, your urban, metropole, uh, you know, regional shopping centers uh, by and large have recovered. And on the vacancy side? 
Yeah, vacancies shot up to 9%. During COVID, we are now back to uh, just slightly higher than 2%. Um, so that has uh, also been quite pleasing to see. The leasing team has done an incredible good job. And we are reinventing the, the use of space. So we're not just looking at pure retail. So we've introduced things like healthcare. We bring in more entertainment. We were, for example, if you take like Pavilion, it was just a food court uh, with a fast food retail. We are introducing now, you know, a dining at the top of the mall, a rooftop dining where the likes of uh, Tiger's Milk, Olive and Oil, Exclusive Books, Mozambique will be coming in so that we diversify our food offering. And that's going to be the story through our shopping centers so that uh, we've seen since COVID people prefer open-air dining with beautiful views. Um, so the retailer shop has changed. Can I corner you there? Because I know obviously COVID and a whole lot of things happened. Uh, but uh, uh, with Pavilion, there was an announcement before you took over of a billion rand revamp. Is that part of a, a, a big revamp there? Or is it it's a little bit smaller now considering the COVID hit and that sort of thing? Yeah, no, no, it's much smaller, you know. <laughs> Because whenever you do uh, developments, it can't just be about ideas. It has to be about feasibility and yield, you know, the impact on your forward yield. So we have urban design frameworks for each and every one of our shopping centers. That's one of the things that I introduced. So we have plans that span out 10 to 20 years for each one of our shopping centers. And uh, we're rolling out the schemes um, based on feasibility, based on demand, based on trends. Um, so you won't see us announcing mega things. Um, you know, it's always going to be um, about you know, what works, what is the demand, and so forth. So yeah, so it's it's part of the urban design framework, and this is uh, call it phase one or phase ten. You know, that will roll out over t- over time. Yeah. Thanks for that. At the recent Sapoa lunch, uh, you were quite vocal about a number of issues hurting the South African commercial property industry from load shedding and spiraling rates and taxes to municipal service delivery and leadership challenges in the likes of Johannesburg, South Africa's economic hub, and other leadership issues in government generally. But before we dive into those bugbears, the reason I put that context there is you highlighted the fact that property companies have little option but to also diversify by investing offshore. Interestingly enough, Perito itself is also investing offshore now with a partner like uh, Atterbury in the Atterbury Europe transaction. Please can you share a little bit of detail about this before we go into the bugbears, as it were? Yeah, so when we did our strategy in 2018, you know, we just hit uh, a junk status as a country. Um, Sovereign risk was just bearing its head. Uh, We realized that our equity story from a growth perspective cannot rely on South Africa only given the poor economic fundamentals and poor governance that we were witnessing. That's in the heat of a Zuma corruption uh, pilot um, and leadership. And so we uh, decided that we will invest overseas. Our criteria was to invest in an existing portfolio with development opportunities, preferably with South African entrepreneurs or developers that we knew and there could be a cultural fit. But we also looked at other deals. And yeah, and the Atabiri Europe transaction was one of those in the market. Uh, We approached them and were able to acquire 25% in 2019. And last year, September, 
we increased our stake to 50% of Atabiri Europe. Um, we are invested in Serbia, Cyprus, and Romania. Um, and we are the leading property owners in each one of those countries where we are invested. Um, it's been a great deal for us. We've seen a significant fair value gain uh, since those acquisitions, and we are continuing to grow. Our target is that um, 70% of our portfolio will remain retail, 30% non-retail, but in addition, 70% will be South Africa, 30% will be offshore. Currently, we are at about 13%. So we are still going to continue to pursue opportunities to, uh, you know, go to make sure that uh, at least seven, uh, 30% of our gross asset value is um, is with uh, opportunities offshore. And we are looking at a couple of deals. Currently, the market is not appropriate because of high interest rates, weak currency. So we just holding back a bit. But although we do have two developments uh, that are, are currently underway, one in Limassol, Cyprus, and Cluj-Napoca in uh, Romania. Fantastic. Uh, it's good to hear that uh, even the unlisted players uh, beyond Atterbury are also getting involved in offshore investment. Uh, getting to the hot-button issue now as uh, Sapao President, Mr. Kikana, what's your biggest bugbear at the moment? Or is it pretty much a combination of issues? Uh, just for context, we had uh, Sapoa CEO Neil Gopal on the pod about a year and a half ago, really frustrated about spiraling uh, municipal rates and taxes, which seemed to be a perennial issue. Sapoa just issued a, a press statement this week. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, much younger, and uh, I used to chair uh, the Economic Transformation Committee of the ANC Youth League, and um, the ANC chair of the Economic Transformation Committee was um, Max Sisulu. I raised in one of the workshops then. Uh, this would be 2007, there and thereabouts or beyond. You know, we just had local government elections uh, in 1996, and then we had government elections in uh, 1999, following that 2002. Two, with um, you know a, a repeat of uh, of the local you know government elections and 2001 and the point I raised then was that the leading governing party at the time tended to take the weakest amongst itself and deploy them as into local government and in my view that is the face of government this is where if your rubbish is not picked up if you have got potholes if you have no electricity if you've got no running water that is what affects the quality of life of citizens and a responsible government ought to take that very seriously some of this mickey mouse type of activities that we're seeing within johannesburg i mean johannesburg is the fourth largest economy in africa you've got south africa you've got nigeria you've got egypt and you've got johannesburg as a city fourth largest economy in in africa and yet the leading governing party allows and sits on its laurels with what is happening there, right? Why? And, and you don't have any leadership that begins to understand that the hub of the economy, of the economy turns around. There's no, tell, don't tell me about Gauteng, Johannesburg. Johannesburg is Gauteng. And you would think something like what is happening there, the top leadership of the country will put one of its finest people to lead and run a city like that so that we can become like Singapore, we can become 
like some of the best cities around the world. No, that doesn't get done. So for me, local government is our biggest bugbear. It is dysfunctional, it's not been taken seriously, and it is hurting this economy and is hurting the people of this country. So that, that for me is the number one biggest problem that we're seeing. And I'm very astounded at the poor leadership that we're seeing within our government. Well, very forthright there, Mr. Kekana, considering your roots. Uh, but uh, thanks for that. We'll get to load shedding. In fact, that's my next question. You highlighted also at the Sapoa lunch that the property industry is also here to help with things like load shedding. There is the initiative that we covered uh, earlier this year with Santon Central and powering up traffic lights during load shedding with some of the property companies in Santon Central supplying that through generators or solar. The government recently met business leaders and CEOs to work closer together, and you made a call for that as well just before this even happened. Uh, were you part or Sapoa part of that discussion a few weeks ago? Yeah, we are members of BUSA, um, so we and Business for South Africa. So we were represented by some of the delegates who were there. Uh, we're not there. I mean, there's too many uh, industry bodies. So, uh, but we're working very closely with the likes of Kaskovadia, uh, Martin Kingston. We've had meetings with them. So whatever they would have been saying in those meetings would have evolved from uh, the meetings that we've had with them as an industry board. They did attend one of our board meetings and we've agreed to work with them on the energy, on security and um, other things uh, that they that they were assisting government with. And very much, whilst we are frustrated, uh, we don't have a choice but to be part of the solution. And what about the wheeling debate? I know I'm zoning into a technical topic somewhat here, but wheeling in terms of dealing with the energy crisis, the property industry wants to also contribute, as you said, but legislation is quite restrictive on this. Yeah, I mean, we've had a meeting um, in all forums that we've had with the various ministers, the recent one being with the Minister of Electricity, uh, Dr. Ramakopa. We have put forward the following suggestions, one being that without even requiring any government assistance, we have sufficient capital at our disposal as landlords and property owners, and even beyond the property industry, I mean, farmers, etc., where we can address the electricity challenges that we're facing. And so we have proposed that we have rooftops, uh, we've got the capital. What we require is two things. One is the regulation regarding wheeling and also the mechanism for setting tariffs. We see that the Western Cape, you know, that has now been, um, you know, they've been given the special dispensation to carry on with that. And we, I just don't necessarily understand why it is the delay because many, many South African companies uh, beyond even the property industry are willing and able uh, to put solar PV panels on their rooftops or ground-mounted utility-scale systems in order to wheel back into that. So there is a self-inflicted wound here by government delaying uh, this uh, from happening because we've had this problem of load shedding since 2008. Why are we sitting in 2023 and we're still having this discussion is beyond my uh, comprehension. To conclude, uh, Mr. Kakana, you say one of the things you're driving in your term as Sapoa president is the SA commercial property sector being more, doing more, or being seen to be doing more in terms of its contribution to society uh, from an ESG perspective and triple bottom line. 
Can you share your thoughts on this, please, as the property sector was one of the hardest hit in the riots that affected KZN and Gauteng two years ago? Yeah, so I mean, starting first on the environmental side of things, or sustainability, um, as you pointed out earlier on, one of the things that we're offering over and above a wheeling uh, back electricity has been that just to improve the quality of life of our citizens, we are offering that, you know, at a very busy traffic intersections um, where we have come up with a property pledge. Um, so that's one of the things that I would like to see happening during my presidency is a, is a pledge on energy where uh, companies can power uh, traffic lights at uh, you know intersections. The second thing is about the S part, the social part of it has been what are the things you know that we can do as a property industry to benefit the communities uh, within which we are doing business, as we have seen uh, during the 2021 riots that that we suffered big losses, as you correctly say, and it was the first time, by the way, that uh, members of community attacked private property, you know, in the scale that we saw. So you can see that, I mean, there's a lot of criminal element, of course, that went with it. Um, but, you know, the fact that the mindset within the communities made it possible for them to not even think about the impact that it could have shows that um, there's a distance between us and communities. So one of the things that we'll be doing is to launch an ESG strategy so that because the large listed companies have got an obligation, if one may say, uh, per the JC rules to do that. But my view is that they, we need to come up with guidelines that will guide all property owners who are members and beyond of support uh, as to when you make money inside communities, what can you... And it's not a lot of big things. It could be a market which affords people who are doing crafts in this community to come and trade on weekends. It could be you supporting a food garden in the communities and so on. And property industry, we are already doing a lot. But I think we want to move from it being something that we're doing in isolated cases to it being a systemic thing um, that throughout the property industry can be done and not just the big guys who are doing it. Um, so that's very much what I would like to see um, uh, happening this year. And yeah, so we it's a short period, it's one year. So you can have more ambition than you can. I mean, we went to to Kheba and we offered to the mayor uh, there. But again, the instability of local government, the guy we spoke to, I mean, I think a couple of weeks back, he was being put out. But we offered to say, we will support an internship program because of the problem with skills in Kheba. Uh, working with the Nelson Mandela University, we can sponsor an internship program to hire town planners, engineers, and so forth to come and assist the city. And that's a very much the kind of social consciousness that we as the property industry, we like to not just act for our own interests, but also for the interests of communities we do business in. Mr. Kakana, thank you so much for your time. It was a great interview. That was Malos Kakana, President of the South African Property Owners Association, as well as CEO of Property Group Perito. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Property Pod with Suren Naidu. To listen to more episodes, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Follow Suren on Twitter at Suren Naidu for more of his property industry content and other business stories.